0: Thanks for joining for another episode of Uncommentary. This is uh, another one of those kind of live on the fly versions. So don't blame James Peach if the audio sounds wonky uh, as you're listening. Uh, this is kind of a breaking news deal. My guest today is Dr. Michael Sagg from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, whose resume is so extensive and so overwhelming that I couldn't even begin to read it all. That'd be a whole episode. But he does hold, and correct me, Doc, if I'm wrong on any of this, the Jim Straley Chair in AIDS Research uh, at UAB, Director of the Division of Infectious Disease of the William C. Gorgas Center for Geographic Medicine, and Director for the Center of AIDS Research, uh, Completed Residency in Infectious Disease Molecular, molecular Virology. I'm a, dude, I'm a pastor and theologian. Some of these words I don't say all the time. Um, did that at UAB, uh, and during your fellowship training, You made seminal discoveries in the genetic evolution of HIV in vivo. Uh, Welcome to Uncommentary, Dr. Michael Sag. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. So um, I I never knew that you existed, although you've got this extensive uh, body of work that's overwhelmingly impressive, uh, until like this week when you wrote a, um, what I'm going to say is a plea to the people of your state to uh, be better prepared for the issue uh, surrounding the coronavirus, COVID-19. So I read that article, and I mean, immediately I was like, there's just no chance I can get this man on, uh, on the podcast. So uh, I launched an email, and lo and behold, you were so gracious to respond, uh, as busy as you must be. But let's start with the really basic thing. What is the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic, and why does it matter?
1: So an epidemic is uh, a rising number of cases in a confined geographic area. If it's a small area, then it's just called endemic,
0: E-N-demic. Okay.
1: But if it spreads to a larger, larger geographic area, then it's called epidemic. And then if it goes across the entire world, then it's called a pandemic, and that's precisely what we're dealing with here.
0: So um, set a little background for people who – aren't really sure, um, what's going on that maybe they're getting conflicting information from family or chain emails, or they're seeing some different stuff on television and they're not really sure if this came from bat soup or if they can like gargle with salt water, and make it disappear, kind of set the stage for what we're dealing with here.
1: Yeah, well, let's, I agree. Let's go back to basics. So what we're, what we're dealing with is a pandemic. Uh, the last time. That we really had something close to this was probably uh, in 1918, which uh, I gather to say most of your audience, including myself, were not alive at that time. And that was the Spanish influenza epidemic that killed millions of people. So we don't know quite what it is. We've hypothetically dealt with it in any kind of classwork in a school of public health. You talk about the potential. And our government has been planning for something like this For quite a while, really, uh, since the original SARS epidemic in 2003, Mm -hmm. then the MERS epidemic a little bit later, the H5N1 uh, influenza epidemic was uh, a little bit later, like 2011, 2010, and Ebola along the way in 2014 or so. Mm -hmm. So we've been thinking about this, but all of those were either endemic, like Ebola, or Mm epidemic epidemic. Uh, perhaps like uh, MERS and SARS, so now we're in pandemic, and it's uh, it, it can it's a little overwhelming, frankly, for everyone, including me, mm. uh, to try to begin to comprehend what this means. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, there was a uh, this originated in Wuhan, China, where there's open markets and they sell uh, different types of meat, um, and it's probable that one of these uh, it's called a civet cat that was infected probably or a series of them infected from bats because mm. bats harbor coronavirus okay. and coronavirus is everywhere in our, uh, environment. Um, and so it got out into the population and spread locally in China and now it's gone around the world.
0: So is it, is it accurate to say, uh, I've heard this phrase before, so correct me if this is inaccurate, that it jumped species from animals into the human, uh, realm. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. That's called a zoonosis That's the fancy term for that.
0: So why is this being called a novel coronavirus? Uh I guess novel in this case is being new. It must be is there a distinguishing factor between this and the coronaviruses you've mentioned are all, all around us? Yeah,
1: I mean there's thousands of coronaviruses. In fact, if you've ever had the common cold, you've had a coronavirus. Wow. Uh what's what makes this new is that this particular coronavirus uh causes more significant infection or significant disease once someone's infected and the mortality rate is much higher i can't think of a single person i've known who's died from the common cold right but people are indeed dying from this
0: wow um so in your from what you know was uh, was the response of the Chinese, I won't say government, because the medical community really handled this, even though the government runs everything there, we know. But um, w- was the response of the Chinese medical community, however that's organized in our minds, uh, sufficient? Was it insufficient? Did they act fast? Did uh, kind of walk us through, as far as you know, what happened before the next thing we know it's in South Korea?
1: Well, I think, as best I can tell, uh, this was starting to poke its head up about, Uh, early to mid-November, and the medical community became a little concerned through December. By December 31st, there was an article in a um, newspaper in Hong Kong that started describing this emerging epidemic, not pandemic, Mm -hmm. epidemic in China. Mm -hmm. Uh, By that time, the government, to their credit, began to respond and taking what I guess we might call draconian measures where uh, individuals who had any symptoms were then immediately cordoned off and sent to facilities where they were evaluated. And if they tested positive were held out of society uh, completely for the time until they recovered and then they'd be released back. Um, In reality, that was an incredibly good public health move. Mm -hmm. They have bent the curve of the epidemic, meaning as more cases were coming on in a exponential growth, which is obviously much faster than just adding together, it was growing very, very fast. Um, they did the things they needed to do to get it under control and their numbers are dropping, uh, unlike some others that we'll talk about in a minute. But, um, as, as it was expanding in China and let's say December, early January, um, Travel to South Korea, travel to Japan. Remarkably, Taiwan warded this off by doing very aggressive things. They saw it coming, they were ready, and they nipped it in the butt. Uh, other countries have not been so lucky.
0: So, what, did, um, what, what exactly did Taiwan do that, uh, that protected them or, or at least saved them from the, the ravages that other countries are experiencing?
1: Well, back in the original SARS epidemic in 2003, they had cases coming from China. So as soon as they got a signal this was going on, they scan everyone coming into their country. And they also do that type of isolation. So by implementing those things right off the bat, Mm -hmm. they kept it at bay. And because Taiwan is an island, uh, by managing who came in or what they did when they tested positive on the way in, isolating them, quarant- giving them quarantine, they've protected their population.
0: So um, so South Korea comes into the mix, and not long, it seems to me, and by that I mean like maybe within a couple of weeks, uh, we're hearing it's in South Korea, it's starting to spread in South Korea, and then I'm seeing on Twitter, I think, like they've already installed like these multi-lane drive throughs, like we would have in Nashville to get our emissions checked on our cars, where people would just go up and basically stick their head out the window, uh, get a swab, and be, and within just a few minutes, be pronounced either you need to, you know, you're sick or you're well. It, it, how quickly were they able to respond and set up testing facilities that were that vast?
1: Well, they were ready, uh, and they had a preparedness uh, uh, process and and program that helped them. And they are yet another country like China who have been able to bend the curve, stop the epidemic and protect the population through very aggressive policies Mm -hmm. that uh, isolated people who were infected, quarantined, and now their numbers are coming down as well.
0: So one place the numbers are not coming down is Italy. I think I saw today that the last 24 hours, they've actually had the highest death rate. So they're not they're not bending the curve. It still uh, still seems exponential there. What happened in Italy? I think age is a factor that didn't happen in say South Korea or Taiwan.
1: They didn't implement the policies of isolation. Hmm. They, they, it hit them very fast. It's not that they weren't paying attention, but quite honestly, they, they behave like I'm watching a lot of people in the United States at this exact moment behave. Wow, They're aware that something's there. They figured, eh, not really going to bother me. Where are the cases? I don't see them. Yeah, and the problem is, the problem is that you don't see the cases till the person gets sick, and it takes about two weeks. Well, not that long. It takes seven days between infection and onset of symptoms, as a rule. And and so while that's happening, spread is coming from an un, an asymptomatic infected person mm-hmm. to others. And once someone gets infected and has symptoms, they become what's called a super spreader. So that once symptoms are developing, cough, that type of thing, every time that person coughs, billions of viruses go into the environment. And if that person's not isolated, they're infecting 50, 60 or more people just from that one individual. So that type of spread was happening. I am very concerned that that spread in the United States is happening right now. So we have to have a urgent, no, emergent, public health response that needs to happen yesterday. Mm. And the people like Tony Fauci are ringing the alarm bell um, to to sort of disregard this, to stick our head in the sand. We would have a situation like Italy. So for us, it's we've got the two scenarios right in front of right. us. Right. We can respond and be proactive like Taiwan and to some degree Korea, or we can sort of say, eh, laissez-faire, we'll just see what happens like Italy and find ourselves in a world of hurt.
0: So um, the first I remember hearing about it in the United States, uh, so let's, let's back up to Italy for just a second. So I think the average age of the person who's dying in Italy is 81 years old. So, um, some people, you know, the excuses are, are the, the, um, uh, the things that people say to help us not to worry are, Oh, but you know, Italy is the oldest country in Europe and they're not in good health and socialized medicine and blah, blah, blah. Um, is this, I realize that more people die once you're past 70 or 80, or at least that seems to be the way it's happening. Uh, but it also seems like there's some younger people. Uh, there's an emergency room doctor here in the States that's in critical condition. He's in his forties. There are a married couple in Rome, Georgia that I know of, uh, one, one degree of separation who are both in the hospital. She's in extremely critical condition, uh, both, uh, confirmed cases. Uh, is this just like the nursing homes are going to all die and then everybody else is going to be okay. I mean, this is, that's, it's a, it's a callous attitude. I think, uh, well, no, it is a callous attitude that says, well, this is only bothering old people and they're near death anyway, and it doesn't bother anybody else. So why all the hubbub?
1: It's a callous attitude and it's, it's absolute ignorance and stupidity to be honest. Um, here's why it's for sure. True that older people have a higher probability of dying once they get infected and have disease. Mm-hmm. Their, their mortality rate over the age of 80 is at least 40 wow. percent. That doesn't mean that if somebody in their 20s has 0 percent mortality. Mm-hmm. In fact, it could be around 0.5 or 1 percent. And that all gradations in between, so that if you're thirties, higher risk, 40, higher risk of death, 50, 60, et cetera, it's just a relative curve. But here's more. Let's say that a lot of people in the United States end up getting infected. Uh, Of those people, let's just pick a number. Let's say a million people in the United States get infected. And of those, 20% have severe symptoms. That's about right. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about 200,000 people in the United States who have severe symptoms. And let's say of those, about half require intensive care unit care. So that's about 100,000 people we're going to need an ICU bed. Where are those beds going to come from? Yeah. Where, where's the capacity for this? We don't have it. So what it means to the young person who's maybe cavalier, maybe some of your audience folks who've been saying, I ain't going to worry about it because I'm not going to die. Okay, fine. Let's say that person, heaven forbid, has a car accident, mm-hmm. is brought to the emergency room. They need emergency surgery and they need an ICU bed. But wait, the ICU beds are all filled. What are we going to do for that trauma victim yeah. or somebody has a burn or somebody has um, another type of illness, like uh, uh, another type of pneumonia that isn't SARS, uh, SARS-CoV-2? What what happens to them? That's why the mortality rate is so high across the board in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's not that the mortality rate for any single person is high. It's their healthcare system that's collapsed because of the burden of SARS. So everything we can do to keep this epidemic in our country at bay helps everyone, everyone. So this is a public health emergency. We should be sounding a five category alarm that this need we need action. Now the other thing, every day we delay doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. restricting, uh, Participation in anything that's not essential, we add forty percent more cases every day. Every day,
0: holy cow!
1: Every day delay, we add forty percent more cases than if we had acted yesterday.
0: In uh, in your estimation, knowing how infectious disease work, um, diseases work, and how they spread, um, today is March the fifteenth. At what? How many days are we looking at? at our current pace of activity or inactivity decision-making that you're seeing people do before this becomes so overwhelming and so obvious that everybody knows somebody who's been diagnosed.
1: We're at that point pretty much now we're at an inflection point right now. Um, We could have, should have acted at least a week ago. Mm -hmm. I think people are starting to hear about cases, but part of our, Part of the reason that we're a little bit behind the eight ball here is that our testing capacity was significantly hampered in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a complicated story, but let's just say that there weren't enough tests available. So a state like Alabama, where I live, mm-hmm. um, you had to go through very elaborate procedures to go through the state health department the only way you could get a test people the process was so onerous that nobody tested now this weekend we started testing and the cases are spiking it's not that there's new transmission it's just yeah. the backlog of people who had it yeah the point being if you go back to the earlier comment is that those people were transmitting um a lot of the cases just unwittingly yeah so we're kind of already at that point where we need to do pretty aggressive measures now.
0: In your article, I think you estimate uh, that between 70 and 140 million people will wind up diagnosed. I've seen as high as 150 million people. I think that was from the uh, the physician to the United States Senate um, or Congress maybe um, estimated that. Uh, what time frame, if we're looking at between 70 and 140 or 150 million people being being diagnosed with uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, what's the time frame? I mean, obviously, that's not next week. Is it, is it 12 months from now, 18 months from now, six months from now?
1: No, it's probably over the next three to four months if we do nothing. Wow. And those numbers are modifiable if we act now. We have to act now. So, your now your next question, of course, is, well, what what in the world can we do? Right. <laughs> <It's> wrong, right. <laughs> yes. That's what I'd be wondering if I'm listening in. So, here's I th- here's the filter I would use. I would ask myself for any activity, is it essential that I do this? Mm-hmm. Is it essential that I go to the shopping mall to buy uh, some a new a new coat or mm-hmm. some makeup or whatever? Or is it essential that I attend my religious service? Is there another way I can do that? Mm -hmm. Is it essential for me to go see a movie? Is it essential for me to go to a restaurant? The answer obviously is no. For all those activities, we should not be engaging. The restaurants should be shut down now. The shopping malls should be shut down now. The movie theaters, um, religious services should be canceled now. I realize people are... reacting and saying, what's he talking about? I'm telling you, we are in a public health crisis. And the biggest problem we have right now is going from awareness, which is where most people are, that something's going on, to true comprehension of what in the world does this mean and what in the world can I do about it? If we're going to stop that, ultimate number of let's say 100 million i'll be a little bit more conservative on. Mm-hmm. that's one third of the u.s population they'll be infected with this wow. wouldn't we want to do something yes so those are the things we can do what are essential groceries pharmacies healthcare facilities government support activities restaurants can modify maybe to doing everything carry out mm-hmm. or having delivery services we're going to have to wake up and do this now, Get Ohio and Illinois, one hour ago, this is now we're on Sunday for those listening Sunday, March, the ads of March. Um, <laughs> <laughs> beware <right? Yes. laughs> uh, that Ohio and Illinois just banned all restaurants, made them all close. Um, that's the right. That's the right thing. We should just be doing this on our own if our government won't step up and do the right thing right now. We as citizens should take this in our own hands, not only protect ourselves, but protect our fellow citizens.
0: It did seem to me that um, the, the federal government was uh, had lagged uh, behind, and, and we saw schools starting to, as in universities, starting to close and send kids home for online learning. We saw, uh, for instance, the NBA canceled, and then the NCAA followed suit uh and then i think uh, major league baseball is delaying i think the opening of the season i'm not uh, absolutely sure about that mm-hmm. um so and then you have businesses so nike and then you have patagonia and then you have others that are saying no we're just going to figure out something else we're going to stop don't come to work we'll figure it out um the city of nashville the mayor just within the hour i think tweeted um closing of uh closing of bars restrictions on restaurants i'm not sure they're closing but they're going to re- restrict the number of people who can be in a restaurant at, at the same time um hoboken has in, has instituted a curfew another city in new jersey instituted a curfew so it it seems as these pieces trickle in it has seemed to me that these are situations of well, if we're not getting clear direction from a, a government entity higher than us then the data seems to be leading us to make these these strong decisions. And then if the federal government ever figures it out, then that's fine, but we're going to do what's best for our citizens. Is that what you're seeing?
1: Absolutely. And I don't want to make this a political discussion, because I suspect half your listeners are on one side of a political spectrum and the other. So I don't want to take pot shots, but I will say this in general, we are behind in our public health messaging. Mm. We are way behind. And I think politics is playing into that. At this point, I don't care. I think we all just need to be aware and comprehend what's going on and do the right thing. Here's another way to look at it. I would use the metaphor that we are right now, the entire country, some areas more than another, are experiencing a Category 5 hurricane right on top of us at this moment. Mm -hmm. Would we go out to a restaurant while a hurricane is blowing? Would we go to a movie theater would we go to a religious service while the, while the uh, steeple is being blown off the right, roof? Right. I don't think so. That's where we are. That's where we are. And if we're going to, we know what to do in a hurricane. We know what to do when the hook echo touches down mm-hmm. for a tornado. We go to our safe place. Mm-hmm. We need to go to our safe places right now to minimize the damage of this epidemic in our
0: country. And you're thinking, um, should people not go to work Depending upon the size of the place they work, should they work in shifts? Uh, we're seeing obviously um, like state workers working from home, large companies that have the ability to telling their people to work from home. Um, are people who are truck drivers, are people who work, you know, drive dump trucks, who do backhoes, people who work you know, in a small office, should they go to work and then just come home? Should they not go to work? How is, how is all of that going to play out in a way that, that people can even get their minds around? How am I going to stay alive? Well, it's,
1: that's a little less clear, but I will give you some general rules of thumb from my perspective. If your work is amenable to working from home, do that right away. And most bosses are headed that way anyway. right? So that's, that's easy. Um, if your work is essential in terms of moving goods and products from point A to point B as a truck driver, you can do that. You're by yourself. You're not in a large crowd and you're doing an essential service. Mm-hmm. So yeah, continue that. If you're, uh, in, the, um, uh, if you're in a business that uh, is providing service otherwise, um, let's say you're uh, in, in, in a restaurant business or something, unfortunately, you're probably going to be um, laid off for the time being. Mm. And the economic hardship of this, we haven't even begun to comprehend, yeah. right? Yeah. This, just like after a hurricane, there's going to be huge damage and there's going to be huge amount of of people hurting badly mm. when this is all said and done. But it's going to be worse, if we wait. So it's just inevitable that, that you, you know, that if you're in a service related industry, that is not essential. You're likely to be laid off. If you're building, if you're in construction, you mentioned some backhoe, that's probably okay. Yeah. Actually, the question will be, can you get supplies? Yeah. Uh, building supplies. That'll probably dry up in a little bit, but it's all individual and it's very complicated because our society is very complicated.
0: So I want to ask a, uh, A straight up question because this question was asked of me and I don't, I don't, I don't have enough authority to speak on it. So you can, um, how much of the failure of Italy to respond had to do with, uh, them having quote unquote socialized medicine versus say South Korea or China. Zero.
1: I don't understand why it would be that way. I mean, that makes no sense to me. If anything, we're, we're in more difficulty not having socialized medicine because we people that need help, there's a gradation of how they might access it. For example, among the people in our country who don't have health insurance, especially if they're poor, mm-hmm. where do they get their health care? The, the emergency, emergency department. Yeah. What is the emergency department going to look like over the next month? Right, Horrible. Overcrowded. People sick with this disease pouring out onto the street, at least in another country where there's standardized medical care to everyone, where they can, they have a primary care provider. They at least have a place to go. Where are are, our poor and our people who have no medical insurance? Where are they going to go? And that number depends on who you talk to. Could be 20 million people right now in our country. Yeah. So how are we better off than Italy? Italy's medical system is actually pretty darn good. And ironically, in Lombardy, which is one of the epicenters of got, that got hit early, is in northern right. Italy. They have incredible resources. I know many of the doctors there. They're outstanding. Wow. And they're overwhelmed. And and the, the stories coming out of there are heartbreak. New York Times had a story three days ago about them it didn't even scratch the surface on how bad it really is. Mm-hmm. And let me, let me just illustrate that for a second, I think just to help people grasp this. They, had a, they have a fantastic healthcare system. They were prepared in their own way. They didn't do the public health things. They just did the medical things mm-hmm. to be ready. The first couple cases showed up and it started to destabilize their system. More and more patients showed up. They didn't have enough ICU beds. So what they had to do is ask their providers to go through the hospital, look at those people who were on ventilators, and those people who had very little chance of survival in that provider's estimation, they had to take them off a ventilator, send them home to die, basically Mm -hmm. let them die, to make room for someone who might have a chance. Anybody over the age of 65 who had this disease, they give them oxygen, which isn't enough, and then they couldn't put them on a ventilator, so they died. That's why the mortality rate is so high, much higher than you would have expected. Is that because of socialized medicine? Absolutely not. That's because they didn't prepare in retrospect fast enough. And a heartbreaking letter I got from an Italian physician said, we implore the rest of the world not to do what we did. Prepare now. Restrict your activities now mm. before it's too late. This is urgent. This is emergent. This is a crisis. We need to act.
0: My goodness. My guest on this episode of Uncommentary has been Dr. Michael Sag of the University of Alabama, at Birmingham, infectious disease specialist. Um, so I found you on Twitter, but I don't remember your Twitter handle right offhand.
1: It's M D
0: And that's two A's in SAG, by the way, M S A A G. Thanks again, Doc, for being with us. And, uh, man, I wish really Godspeed on you and the rest of the medical field as you're trying to figure this thing out.
1: And Godspeed to all of us. Thank you.